It's the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Coming in three, two, one. Hi, this is Rob Sparks of NSF's National Optical Infrared Astronomy Research Laboratory. I'm coming to you in early January, right after the end of the American Astronomical Society meeting in Honolulu, Hawaii. I thought this month I would take a few minutes to just talk briefly about a few press releases that occurred at that meeting that were heavily impacted by NSF's OIR lab facilities. You can find all these press releases in our show notes for more information. The first one I'd like to talk about was a team led by Bethel Tilvey at Arizona State University who was researching the end of the cosmic dark ages. First, a quick primer on the Dark Ages. About 400,000 years after the Big Bang, the universe had cooled sufficiently for the protons and electrons to combine to form neutral hydrogen. No stars had yet formed at this time, and hence started the Cosmic Dark Ages. The Cosmic Dark Ages lasted for approximately 680 million years after the Big Bang. Tilby's team found the first direct evidence for when stars started igniting and ionized this neutral hydrogen Tilvey's team used NewFirm, an infrared imager on the male 4-meter telescope at Kitt Peak National Observatory, to image a group of galaxies known as EGS-77. The team began with an imaging survey designed to detect high-redshift galaxies. They then combined this imaging survey with results from the Hubble Space Telescope to determine the redshift of the galaxies. They did this using a technique called photometric redshifts. That is, they used strictly the colors of the galaxies to determine how fast they were moving away from us. The redshift serves as a sort of measurement of distance of the galaxies, so we can tell how far away they are. At high redshifts, the light is shifted completely out of the visible spectrum and into the infrared. Since NewFirm observes in the infrared, they're looking for galaxies that would show up on NewFirm using a special narrow-band infrared filter that showed up in the NewFirm instrument but were not visible in the Hubble. Tilby said, quote, the discovery of the two fainter galaxies in this group was po only possible because of the special narrowband filter used with NewFirm. Intense light from galaxies can ionize the surrounding hydrogen gas, forming bubbles that allow starlight to travel freely. EGS-77 has formed a large bubble that allows its light to travel to Earth without much attenuation. Eventually, bubbles like these grew all around all galaxies and filled intergalactic space, clearing the way for light to travel through across the universe." Unquote. Once identified, the Keck telescope followed up to, to, to uh, confirm the distance in these galaxies using spectra. They found that the redshift of these galaxies was about 7.7, which means they're about 680 million years after the Big Bang. Studies such as this push back our understanding of the history of the early universe when the first stars were forming and are very exciting. I'm sure more bubbles like this will be found soon, advancing our knowledge even further. The second press release I'd like to talk about involves fast radio bursts. Fast radio bursts were first discovered in 2007. As their name implies, they don't last very long, typically thousandths of a second. The source of fast radio bursts has been a mystery. Only five of these radio bursts have actually been localized. That is, we know exactly where it's coming from in the sky and can associate it with the galaxy. Of these five, this is the second one we know that repeats. That is, it will occur more than once. The other ones are all one-off events that have never been seen again. This particular FRB was first seen by a Canadian radio telescope called CHIME in 2018. The European VLBI network, EVN, helped precisely localize this source. However, that still was not good enough. 
The team then used the Gemini telescope to study the gal host galaxy in detail. They found that the FRB originated from one of the spiral arms where stars were rapid, are rapidly being formed. None of the other four FRBs that have been localized were found in an environment anything like this at all, deepening the mystery of what causes these things. There could definitely be more than one type of event that causes an FRB. Kinsey Nimmo, a PhD student at the University of Amsterdam and a fellow lead on this paper, said, quote, the object's location is radically different from not only that of the previously located repeating FRB, but also all previously studied FRBs. This blurs the differences between repeating and non-repeating fast radio bursts. It may be that FRBs are produced in a large zoo of locations across the universe and just require some specific conditions to be visible. I'm sure that these teams will have many more to follow up on as we discover more FRBs and get better at localizing them and discovering them in the future. The third press release I'd like to mention is the new exoplanet instrument sees first light. We've talked about this on the podcast before in previous episodes I've recorded. NUID is a new instrument, a spectrograph, mounted on the WIN 3.5-meter telescope on Kitt Peak. It is designed to study hot extrasolar planets, giving us very, very precise measurements of their radial velocities. When a planet pulls on a star, the star might come toward us or move away from us at, a, at certain speeds. The, slower the, the smaller the planet, the slower the speed it will pull the star. So to detect small planets, we have to have a very, very high precision spectrograph to, to detect very, very small velocities of stars. NUID was delivered to Kitt Peak in October of 2019, just a few months ago. Now, of course, once it's up there, they have to install on the telescope and calibrate and finally achieve a first light image. The NUID instrument achieved first light recently on the Wind Telescope on Kitt Peak. It was looking at the star 51 Pegasi. Its spectra is in the press release, so I encourage you all to go take a look at that image. 51 Pegasi was chosen because it was the first sun-like star known to have a planet orbiting it, and it was well-placed for observation at this time of year when they were trying to make the uh, first light measurements. NUID is expected to be able to measure velocities as small as one kilometer per hour from stars hundreds of light years away. Previous instruments achieved about 3.5 kilometers per hour, so obviously this is a great improvement over the previous generation of extrasolar planet research. One of my favorite tidbits about the NUID instrument is that it must be kept extremely stable in terms of temperature. The temperature has to be kept to a stable to a thousandth of a degree over the instrument's lifespan. Its current mission is set for five years. I wanted to highlight these three press releases since this is the first AAS meeting since we rebranded it, since we merged with uh, Gemini, LSST, and NOIO and became the National Science Foundation's National Optical Infrared Astronomy. I look forward to many more years of being able to report wonderful science from this new organization. Until next month, this is Rob Sparks signing off for NSF's OIR Lab. Across 10 years and more than 12 million downloads, we've brought you day after day of content. Thank you for making this possible. Now we've added a new way to donate to 365 Days of Astronomy to support editing, hosting, and production costs. Just visit www.patreon.com forward slash 365 Days of Astronomy and donate as much as you can. Share the podcast with your friends and send the Patreon link to them too. Every bit helps. As we head toward our 10th anniversary on January 1st, 2019, we have to ask, what in the cosmos do you want to hear about? Let us know by emailing us at info at 365daysofastronomy.org. Thank you. 
You are listening to the IYA 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. The 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is produced by the Planetary Science Institute. Audio post-production by Richard Drum. Bandwidth donated by Libsyn.com and Wizard Media. You may reproduce and distribute this audio for non-commercial purposes. Please consider supporting the podcast with a few dollars or euros. Visit us on the web at 365daysofastronomy.org or email us at info at 365daysofastronomy.org. This year we will celebrate the Year of Everyday Astronomers as we embrace amateur astronomer contributions and the importance of citizen science. Join us and share your story. Until tomorrow, goodbye.